Welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, presented by Roast House Pub and Idiom Brewing Company in Frederick, Maryland, as well as Havoc Brew Supply, the one-stop shop for all of your brewery's needs. Check them out at hophavoc.com. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Chris Sands. Today, I am joined by Robin and Alan LaPointe from 1820 Brewing Company. Thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. So, um... This is actually our second attempt at this in all um, transparency. Uh, there were a lot of technical issues uh, with the first attempt. So thankfully, they were gracious enough to go for round two. Uh, and uh, But unfortunately, I did forget my uh, to bring my 1820 to work with me today because I'm not recording in the home studio. And I didn't have time to run home and grab it. So I'm stuck drinking Celsius instead of trying another one. But as I pointed out last time, the Raz was absolutely phenomenal. Way better than I ever would have thought uh, um, raspberry sour non-alcoholic beer would be. So where do we want? I want to, straight off the bat, let's just talk about non-alcoholic beer and how it's made, because that is, as I've mentioned, I'm completely new to the world of NA drinks. So educate me. All right. Well, there's a few different ways uh, you can make it. So you can actually do it with making a, a beer and then doing vacuum distillation and separating out and burning off the water. So you're just left with the organics and the, and the flavor that you reconstitute with water. The other way is through a membrane separation where, again, you brew beer, separate the water and ethanol from the other ingredients and then reconstitute to make your non-alcoholic beer. Uh, we, we looked at those opportunities, those ways, and we just felt it wasn't authentic was it kind of in line with the, with the philosophy of the brewery? We have, we have three brewers that have over 70 years of experience. So they said, no, if we're going to make one, we really need to be genuine, intentional, and authentic on how we make our beer. So what we do is we had the same typical four ingredients that always people do, water, yeast, um, hops, and malt. And we go through the mash, mash uh, process, we kettle, and then we put it into a fermentation vessel where we go through a normal fermentation with a very specialized yeast under very special conditions so that we can let it fully attenuate. And that process really gets you the complex bodies and the different flavor profiles that you can get out of the malts. Um, so that's how we make the product. Then we dry hop it if it's an IPA. Um, and that's half the battle. So now all of a sudden you've got a great product, tastes great, um, really authentic, true to style. The biggest challenge after that is really making it food safe and uh, shelf stable because there's no alcohol in there to protect it from any post-secondary fermentation. So we uh, invested quite a bit of money in a very intricate tunnel pasteurization system where we can control the temperature. We monitor the temperature in all sections of the pasteurizer to make sure that we're getting the, the appropriate um, pasteurization for shelf stability. So it's a, it's an intricate process, but it's really, uh, we've really dialed it in well. So tunnel pasteurization, that's when it, it's pasteur, pasteurized after packaged, right? Exactly. It's right, pasteurized so it's can, in the can. Can then goes through the pasteurizer. Exactly. Which from what I understand is actually the better way than to do it from transferring out of the tanks. Because I think some places do that too. Yeah, pasteurization is, again, you can do um, fluid pasteurization, which is just you're pasteurizing the fluid prior to canning, but you still have the canning exposure potentially to uh, airborne Oh, that makes sense. Well, that, that, so, that, would, that would be why yeah, so doing why in package do would be better because any exactly. if it anything did get, that happened to... We do multiple to, filtration, but as soon as it gets in the can, we say, hey, we want to pasteurize it. So the can itself is pasteurized. So all the ingredients are pasteurized inside. So exactly. you're using the yeast that doesn't produce alcohol or it doesn't... produces a low volume, right? It's going okay. to produce some, but it's going to be below 0.5%. Is that um, always reliable or do you have to be vigilant on testing alcohol content with, with doing it that way? Yeah, it's a great question. 
you do have to monitor it under very, very controlled parameters, um, time, temperature, and a bunch of other mm -hmm. conditions to make sure it doesn't over attenuate and actually produce more than 0.5%. Because if you don't do it under those very specific guidelines, uh, this yeast will produce more alcohol than is allowed in a 0.05. And then you have to add water back. And we didn't want to do that either. Yeah, because so then you completely ruin the mouthfeel, which was ridiculously on point with exactly. the ones of yours I've tried with. And that, that makes sense. Well, I've, I've never tried, like I know some of the big brands, they use those technology ways of removing the alcohol. And I've never tried any of them. So I don't, I don't really have a comparison. Um, but like your way of doing it, I mean, it's indistinguishable from a regular beer. Yeah. Other yeah, than you get the complex body, you get yeah. the, you get the different flavor profiles that a malt is going to give you in the beer process, which is, which is really what you want. If you add back too much water, you get no body. It's a more watery type of flavor. And we have very strict guidelines in the amount we can't do. I think, it's, I think we've decided on less than 5%. If we have to do more than 5% water add back, we just scrap the batch and do it again. And uh, so back to um, pasteurization, so with the lack of alcohol, would that have made it not shelf safe, like greatly shrink the lifespan of it since it's all I mean, yeah. fresh ingredients? Yeah, much. 100%. So what pasteurization does is assure that any of the wild bacteria that might be in the air, if it accidentally gets in a can, it's not going to affect a beer, but it does affect, it can affect lager beers. So a lot of the lager beers are pasteurized as well for the same reason. But when you don't have any alcohol, any slight off flavor due to something like that is going to affect. So when you pasteurize, you, you maintain that shelf stability, the organics itself that, you know, once they're pasteurized, they're more stable after pasteurization. So you get that, you maintain that flavor profile for a longer period of time. I guess too, if you didn't pasteurize, you would run the risk of it to continue to ferment in the can and then also go above the non-alcohol Holic threshold. What is it? Is it 0.5 or 0 0.05? 0.5%. 0.5, 0.5 for uh, non-alc and a 0.05 for alcohol-free. Okay. I didn't even know there was two designations. So Yes. Yeah, so when you see 0.0, 0 on a Heineken, they're an alcohol-free product because they're below, they're below 0 0.05. Okay. I'm, guessing, so that, I'm guessing that can't be achieved with normal fermentation. Well, like with using the yeast method. Yeah, we've not been able to do it. I, you know, maybe someone else has, but we haven't. Um, ours typically runs between 0.3 and 0.35 is where we're seeing our average. So it's 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 still a long way off from 0.05. Yeah, yeah. You would have to drink a lot of it <laughs> to. It may be physically. I mean, I guess some people with a really low, low, low tolerance for beer, but the average person probably would not be able to consume no. <laughs> enough uh, of the fluid <laughs> to be able to feel the effects of that that low oh, of yeah. alcohol level. Yeah, a twelve pack might give you the same effect as a five percent actual beer. Yeah, which I mean, God bless Too you if you fluid. want to drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's rewind to how um, now that now that I understand the, the production and non-alcoholic non beer a little better, let's rewind and talk about the start of 1820, uh, the motivation for opening it, and where it was born from. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday? Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, 
or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. So we started um, Geary Brewing Company, which is the sister company to 1820, is, um, has federal brewer's license number 13, has brewer's license number one in the state of Maine. So when we bought it back in 2017, there was a tremendous culture of innovation. So one real quick, I've never seen a yeah. brewer's license. Are they literally just numbered in the order that they're hundred percent that they're given out? So that yeah. that is that's pretty cool. It is. So when you see ours, you know it's main brewer's license one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know when we took it over, it was really a culture of innovation, differentiation, be different but be authentic to whatever style you're going to actually brew to. So with those brewers having you know seven years of, of brewer experience, we decided you know we want to offer our clientele options to fit their lifestyle. And one of the things we kept hearing is having that non-alcoholic option, but I, I don't want to give up on the taste of, of a beer. I want the same flavor profile. So that's when we started really digging into different ways and how we want to present, you know, go after the market, present ourselves to the market. And that, you know, that authentic brewing style is what we did. So we came up with the name of 1820 because that's when the state of Maine was established as a state. Um, and that's how we came up. Again, we want people to think of Maine. We want people to feel uh, Maine. And that's why we picked Charlie the Chickadee as our, as our uh, bird and logo, because it's not just a state bird, but it's a bird that changes its neural pathways every spring to adapt to its social environment. And this is kind of what the non-op movement is all about. It's, it's the balance and changing the way you think about how you want to be out there uh, in front of people and how you want to enjoy your life and balance your life. So. We really felt the, that we were as positioned as well, if not better than anyone, to understand that with that 70 years of brewing experience. Yeah, it's fine. Because I know nothing about birds. Um, when I first uh, looked at the logo, I thought it was a robin, <laughs> and you just named it <laughs> after robin. After, after, the, after the president, yeah. right? Why not? <laughs> but then, then I read further on your website, and uh, like there's a chickadee. I'm like, oh, that, that makes sense too. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, one thing I'd mentioned before too is like it seems like I think Maine is. Well, I mean, Texas is in that group too but maybe second only to Maryland for people who love their state. So it, you're 100% right. So, so it, it does make sense to stay as main themed as possible, especially with the, the, the strong main roots of Geary exactly. Brewing. We're very passionate about the state. And that is really a huge piece of why we took over Geary Brewing Company to make sure that that brewery and the history that it had for the state and all of New England was preserved. And so we didn't want that piece of Maine to be lost in everything that the craft beer industry brings to the state and those who come to visit. We're also very passionate manufacturers and this keeping manufacturing in the state of Maine and really supporting it, growing it, developing it. So, you know, our connection to Maine is first and foremost in our ownership and love of both Geary Brewing Company and 1820 and bringing Maine to people around the country is something that we aspire to. And we can do that through NA while supporting our craft beer drinkers and those who choose to drink alcohol and those who choose not to. So when, when marketing a non-alcoholic product, how, what, what is your target audience? Like what is the main target demographic of non-alcoholic beer? We're really looking to bring out a non-alcoholic choice to people who are our primary drinkers, obviously with Geary Craft Brewing is to people who enjoy craft beer. But we also realize drinkers today are realizing that it's a better option for them to have non-alcoholic beverages sort of mixed into what they're drinking. So that's our really our first target is to really provide options to those people who are starting to look at that for themselves and their own self-care and, and having the best options for their lifestyle, whether that's a long-term lifestyle or a short-term, it may be something that's a health thing is a short period of time, or maybe it's a long-term. Um, people face all different kinds of challenges and this is a real nice option. 
So I would say that's our primary um, customer. But we also have customers that choose not to drink for many, many options. And we really want to bring celebration and a spirit of an, it's the spirit of an event to people's lives. And people really enjoy having something extra special to bring to their celebrations, to bring to the party, um, to bring to their life. And our life is so um, busy and filled with so many options that you can't be doing that every day and every night and every weekend. And these bring really great options for mixing in and replacing. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, it's like absolutely perfect for the um, designated driver absolutely. that still wants to enjoy absolutely. a beer, like to be social instead of sitting there drinking a soda or water or something, you're still kind of, enjoying the night the same way everyone else is at least flavor wise or as you like i think you alluded to like just it, if you're out for a long night like alternating back and forth between the two like it is a much safer way of spending the night out and you know and you know it's funny and you don't feel you still feel included in the in the social gathering that you want to be in in the, in the setting you're in and you're not separated out uh, because you're you're drinking a non It smells the same. You have someone taste it. They're not going to really know a difference. So it, you know, it takes that stress or that uh, potential uh, area of uncomfortableness out of the mix. Yeah. So I was. I think it's a great option that way too. The um the radio show that I listen to every morning, uh, for like after St. Patrick's Day, they were talking about an article that said like non-alcoholic spirits were huge. And for St. Patrick's Day, and they were talking about just like drinks, like um, I can't think of the right way. I'm just going to say car bomb, even that's the absolute worst way to describe the drink. Um, like, is it, and they said in art, that's the name they use in the article, like making those non-alcoholic and like using non-alcoholic Guinness with a non-alcoholic shot. And <clears throat> the the DJ like was making fun of the thought of doing non-alcoholic shots and there was multiple people that called in and they said no it like that is if you don't drink or you don't want to drink and everyone's doing a shot it feels stupid to do it with water right. and it's just like <laughs> like you would just rather not but if you do it with a non-alcoholic spirit it's practically the same thing and you're still you're enjoying the night and you're enjoying what's going on with your friends in the exact same way just without having the exactly. alcohol. Exactly. Right. And I think I would, I would venture to guess like the, there's a strong education aspect of this because I mean, in, until like what, maybe three years ago, like non-alcoholic beer was not something anyone <laughs> would seek out and want right. to drink. Cause right. <laughs> The odols of the world are not the same thing as what 1820 is making. Right. So is that is that a stigma that is? Like I think a, it's, yeah, it's funny. You, I think you pointed out because um, I have family members that drink odols and they do it for you know a variety of reasons. And I you know right now what we're noticing is they love they love drinking orange because now they have variety, and that's the one thing in non-alcoholic beer person didn't have before. And then even some of the bigger brands, even though they're, they're, the product tastes better, it's still a lager style product. Um, so I think the advent of the craft side of this world is going to do the same thing it did with alcohol. It's going to explode that portion of people that said, I don't want just a lager experience. I want a, I want a sour. I want a raspberry. I want a red ale. I want a brown ale. I want a pale ale or an IPA. Um, so that's where we come in. And that's where, you know, a couple other bigger players in the market have spent a significant amount of money educating the public on that craft is an option and it's a quality option. And, and that's where we're benefiting as well. We're kind of riding that coattail of the, of the larger non-out craft brands that are spending a lot of money and we're getting a lot of acceptance because now they're, now they're looking, now they're saying, oh, okay, yeah. we got that guy, but you know, who else is there? And cause the beauty is you can go on our website, 1820brewing.com. And you can order it online today and I can ship it anywhere in the country. And that's one thing you can't do with alcohol. So someone in California in the West Coast or Midwest that want, hasn't been to Maine or was in Maine, loves Maine, they went camping, 
the fresh air they loved, the water was clean and crisp when they, you know, went swimming. Now all of a sudden you can taste that in your beer. And, you know, we talked last time and you had one of the, the raz, razzle, uh, all that raz. What a clean, refreshing product, right? Yeah, it's great. Most of it's, yeah, most of it's water. But we're getting the best, highest quality water that you can find anywhere in the country. So we're putting that that high quality purity love of the water, the outdoor feel and nature of the product, and you're feeling a portion of Maine, right? And I can ship that anywhere in the country. And I think that's the one thing that's going to change the craft beer movement a little bit for craft people because I don't necessarily have to fight with the big brands and trying to get distribution nationally. You can call me directly or go on my website directly and you'll have you'll have it a case of our product within a couple of days. I think this would be a good time to mention the discount code that you two graciously are offering to uncapped listeners. So if you use uh uncapped twenty with a capital U, uh you'll get twenty percent off of your order. Yeah, that's and that's that's special for you guys. Uh, we typically don't offer anything like that, um, but we again, you've got such great listening group, and I think they're going to want to take a look and experience, you know, a non-out style. And so we're uh, we're really excited to offer that for you for your listeners. Have you have you ever played with Bard or ChatGBT, no. like the two AI driven uh, chatbot type things? Well, today I asked both of them to write reviews mm, of um, really? Uncapped. And apparently I am amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we knew that because this is the second time we came back. So I graciously accept our AI overlords because they are very kind to me. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So let's um, actually let's take a little side trip to talk a little bit about Geary because I think that's an amazing part of your story, too. Um, and wh- what year was it that you purchased it? 2017. And just like you, I mean, you already touched on the legacy, like being the first brewery. Was it, when, when did it originally open? So in 1983, it registered and received license number 13, which okay. was the first East of the Mississippi post-prohibition. Um, interestingly, sidebar here, prohibition started in Maine and ended last in Maine. Oh, thanks a lot, guys. Well, Maryland was one of the holdouts. That's why we are called the free state. There you are. There you are. (laughs) So that's crazy Maine history right there for you. And ironically, right, David Geary is a pioneer to the craft beer industry and starts his first craft brewery right in Maine. And then now we're following up, adding to his portfolio and the portfolio that we've continued to build with these non-alcoholic beers. And that's pretty exciting. And the brewery has really been always a pioneer. Um, We have an amazing gluten removed beer. That beer has been with us at least 15 years. And so, you know, everyone's gradually moving and our brewery tends to move very quickly with what's happening culturally speaking. Great beer starts with great ingredients. At Havoc Brewing Supply, they offer a wide selection of premium hops, fruit purees, malt, cleaning supplies, and more. Their family-owned business is dedicated to helping you create the perfect beer. Havoc offers flexible contracts, lightning-fast shipping, and unrivaled customer service. Join the Havoc Brewing Supply family and elevate your brewing game. Shop small, brew big, grow together. Visit HavocBrewingSupply.com today to learn more. McClintock Distilling is Maryland's first and only certified organic distillery, handcrafting gins, whiskeys, vodkas, and cordials from non-GMO organic ingredients in downtown Frederick. Named the best vodka distillery in the country by USA Today, best gin in the world at the International Spirits Competition, and double gold at the World Spirits Competition for bourbon, rye, and gin. Open now for tours, tastings, and classes. Come sample the most awarded distillery in Frederick today. That that was another question I had, like for the non-alcoholic. Is there any plans or capabilities to make that gluten removed? And is there like any really driving need for that? Because then you're really getting into a niche <laughs> segment. So we are, it's funny you ask that question because right now our next batch of our, of one of the newer beers we have, we have two new beers that are going to be coming out. One is a Vienna lager. 
The other one is a wit style beer. Uh, both of those we're going to be making as gluten removed. Okay. So we don't make them gluten free. Yeah. So there's a little difference in it. One is in the gluten removal is we make the product, then we remove the gluten out of it. You use the which enzyme that, which exactly. doesn't, I mean, it, I've had beer from a brewery that like was the regular version of the beer and then the gluten removed version and they're indistinguishable exactly. from another. Yeah. And they and even, the they sent theirs uh, to be tested and it was low enough to be considered gluten-free, but obviously since it had um, originally had, it, they, it had to be legally be called gluten-removed. All of our batches are independently lab tested and they all meet the ELISA standard for gluten-free. So. Yeah. It, and that's a, that's another crazy like educational thing too, because for the, another thing for the longest time, any gluten <laughs> free beer on the market was just not right. good. Right. But the but the gluten removed, I mean it's it's amazing what science allows us to do with different enzymes and different yeasts and it's amazing. Yeah. It's delicious. As you really it's very indistinguishable. For me it's it's actually a little less bitter, just slightly a little yeah. smoother okay. than non-gluten removed products. So if that's your taste palette, you actually might like it more. Yeah. Like you said, I think we're looking at um, a group of uh, consumers that are health conscious and they're considering the effects of different products in their body. So, I, you know, we do feel that gluten removed will definitely attract um, certain people that uh, might enjoy it, but might enjoy it more because it's gluten removed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of the driving factors of how cider finally started to become popular. 100%. Absolutely. I mean, people are definitely playing around and making them more interesting now, but I think the people wanting to have beverages without gluten in them also is a driving factor of that. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that a hundred percent. Absolutely. So what, um, what were you guys doing before you decided to get into the world of beer and what, uh, what led you to there? Um, so basically, um, I we started off uh, and we still own a liquid filtration and purification company in Auburn, Maine, okay. so about a half mile. Um, and we sell a lot of products to the spirits and malt beverage industry, a lot of it for final packaging right before it goes into a package. So what we call uh, clarity filters or bottle line filling filters. So we've been in that business for over 45 years, which kind of led us into we worked with Gary's at the time. Um, and some other very large brands and some macro breweries as well. And so we had an idea and understanding of the process. Yeah. So we were brewers and we're still not brewers at this point, uh, but we know the process extremely well. So when we talking to David and going through that process and he didn't have the next generation that wanted to make it a career, uh, that Rob and I talked quite a bit about it. We're like, you know, we know this process and you know, we think we can help them transition and, and be good stewards of the brand and make and good stewards for Maine. And that's kind of what got us into it. But we did have some background in, in process purification of, of uh, high purity fluids. So that's why we can, it was easy for us to package a non-alcoholic product because we knew how to do it. Yeah, That was the easy part for me. But I think it's the hardest part for brewers because that gets into a whole different science of microbiology and shelf stabilization, which we do as a filtration company, but breweries don't naturally typically do unless you're a larger large brewery. So we just had to live on the brewing side. But again, when they have, we had such great people and still do that, like I said, 70 years of brewing, they didn't need us for that. Yeah. So they just needed us to help support them. Yeah. And that's kind of what we do. So basically you, you worked in uh, an adjacent industry and the opportunity exactly. arose itself to take over a storied brewery and, and now move it forward even more. Exactly. Yeah, and absolutely. actually, Alan's being a little humble. They actually asked us to take over <laughs> the brand for them. We had worked closely with them with issues that they had had, both in the area that we are expertise is, that we have our expertise in. Also, our family, we are pioneers in filtration, just as David was a pioneer in craft beer. So we had such an understanding of what that transition is from the first generation to the next. We had done that with our business. My father-in-law was a pioneer in filtration. We had worked closely with him and knew his same kind of mindset that David had had 
building this incredible first of a kind type of thing in America. And so there was that, Alan had been helping them both with filtration, but with their business. And they realized that they needed someone to take this brand and take it into the next, next modern era. And, you know, they asked us to continue the brewery for them. And that's how that happened. And we really consider ourselves stewards of this brand. That um, seems to be a, a story that's happening actually more and more as like, cause the, that first wave of craft beer, a lot of those early founders are at the age where they're just you, tired right. of working. Right. <laughs> like they, they, they're ready exactly. to retire. And, um, so it, it's nice. Some places had, have had less than positive, uh, ex, like transition. So it's, it's nice that they found someplace that some people to continue the brewery and then even add further layers to what the brewery is exactly. doing. Exactly. So when we took over the brewery in March that day, um, we also had made a commitment, as I said, to the innovation and continuation and growth of the brewery. So we came in with closed fermenters, new yeasts, new products, new recipes, new packages, and then just built from there. Not long after that, we brought in a centrifuge, state-of-the-art. There probably weren't three or four in the state of Maine. At the time when we took over the brand, there were 96 breweries here in the state. Now there are over 166, just short six years later. And Maine is actually the highest per capita brewery state in the nation, recently passing Vermont about a year and a half ago. So, You, you New Englanders <laughs> really, really like to make beer. <laughs> So the, um, when, when you first went to the brewers and told them about 1820, how, uh, how did they react to, to making non-alcoholic beer? You know, um, was it a hard sell or it's not, it wasn't a hard sell, but it was a mixed emotional initial reaction, right? They were, I think they're a little bit of concern. Are we going to get away from our core and what we do? Yeah. And, you know, our philosophy from day one has always been, and it's the philosophy of our company up here in Auburn is to preserve the core but, and stimulate progress. So you kind of do both in order to grow your business. So we told them, you know, we're, we're always going to be committed to being a, in a brewery and making the highest quality, true to style product. But, I, you know, we shared with them where we felt some of our clientele were requesting this type of product line and that the need for the product line is out there and that we wanted to do it in a traditional way. So I think when we said it was a traditional way that it wasn't going to change what they do, but maybe a little bit about how they do it and the parameters of yeah. which some of the temperature controls and time controls and things like that were getting much more specific because if, it's an, if you don't follow them exactly – you're going to really throw away the batch and do another one. Where in beer, you have a little more flexibility. Yeah, you like um, oh, the ABV is just little, a little bit off, which <laughs> you have a much better yeah. range, right? You can be 10% yeah. off, or you can't be above 0.5 no matter where it is. So there's a lot, there was a little bit more of that. So there's a, there was uh, a little apprehension from that aspect too, but they've warmed up to it quite a bit because they now like, like, they like the styles we're making. They love the smell because it smells just like beer, tastes just like yeah. beer. And some of them are actually blending that at the end of their day, grab a couple of the NAs and going home instead of some <laughs> of the others. So it's kind of funny. I think we all, we all transition at different times in our life and for different reasons. And it's all done at the, on the same exact equipment, right? Exactly. It's exactly the same mash tun, water tank and kettle and everything. I mean, I guess that, does that add any kind of extra concerns for like cleaning and sterilization? Or I, I mean, I guess normal brewery sterilization would take care There's of anything. There's a lot of that. Anything. <laughs> and you have to do it at every batch, even when you make yeah. uh, the, the alcohol products as well. Yeah. I mean, it, what just popped in my mind was like when breweries have mixed fermentation and or like wild fermentation and regular like that. Because yeah. it, there could just be stuff in the air. You have to right. be a little more careful. But I guess, I mean, if it's all just yeast-based, it's really just the same thing you would do at any brewery. It's would similar. Be I would say there's there's more process steps in the purification when you transfer the products. So when you transfer it from the 
you know, the kettle to the uh, fermentation vessel, from the fermentation vessel to the bright tank. We do do take a little bit more extra care because if there is anything that does get in from the air, we want to make sure it gets out. So we have removal steps all along the process. Okay. Again, that's our filtration background. We understand the potential concern. So in every transfer of a to a different tank, we're purifying it down to removing bacteria and, and different things out before we you know, dry hop or things like that. Oh, so you're filtering at every stage? Yeah, at every every transfer stage, we're we're making sure it goes through a filter because of the potential okay. for you always have potential for yeah. contamination. Again, it's just not an issue with beer. <clears throat> yeah, just that extra possibility of it getting another point one percent of of fermentation. Absolutely. The other thing that yeah. our brewers are very experienced at are being very careful about the yeast in general, even with our alcoholic craft beer. Because when we came in back in March 2017, we brought in the closed fermenters and lots of different yeast to make different IPAs and lagers, whereas the brewery had always been an open fermentation brewery. And so one of the reasons they had... Oh, that's interesting. So we have both closed and open fermentation, and we are masters at containing our house yeast, which has been pitched probably over 12,000 to 15,000 times at this point that we keep crop refrigerate and reuse over and over again for all of our heritage brands, keeping them all as authentic to the original recipes as possible. And then using these other yeasts and things to make these, all these other beers that we make as well. So you have to be so careful to not contaminate our house yeast while using all these others. So we're really, really schooled in this, and they're really great about taking the finest care of our beer and our yeast. Um, it's really special. So that, that actually goes right into another question I had where where you, are, you pointed out that there's so much you can do with beer flavor-wise and styles with yeast. Are there, mul- like, are there ways to do that same stuff with non-alcohol producing yeasts or is it kind of is there a still just a narrow window for that yeah so for the style of yeast you're pretty you're pretty limited in the style of yeast so you had to try try to make if you're going to go and make a true hefeweizen it's going to be kind of hard to get those same body but we're probably only a matter of years (laughs) before the yeast labs. I would think it probably like, would be. <laughs> find a way to propagate right. the, that yeast to ways to produce the esters and and other right. way, other right. flavors. Yeah, so it is hard on some. We've made a really nice Vienna Lager that actually tastes unbelievable. It's fantastic, and I can't wait to introduce it to the market because we use all the ingredients you would use in a true uh, Vienna Lager. Um, but we, you know, with it limited by that one yeast, yeah. but boy, it tastes pretty close. Um, you'd have to be a really good connoisseur of beer to know the difference. I mean, that's probably one of the like um, things that the brewers look at it as cool is that it's it's a new, a whole new realm, new challenges and new things to figure out instead of same the, the same things over and exactly. over again. Exactly. Oh, the pilot, they love pilot. I think they also really have a level of, of pride and excitement of one about it's new, it's development, it's product development, but also, you know, like if you were a leader in the, in the industry 35 years ago, you know, and today you're yeah. doing it again for the first time doing something that others aren't doing. It's pretty exciting to be involved in something like that. And I feel like they really do feel a certain level of pride about it. I mean, they definitely should be proud that they're making non-alcoholic beer that would definitely yeah. trick people. And I actually, I, I yeah, think I want to test that out on some people with blind taste testing because I really don't think, like, from the flavor and body that you could distinguish it from a, a normal beer. No, I think if you're looking at beers that are in that 4 and 5% alcohol range, it's going to be so close. It's very hard to replicate a seven percenter because there's yeah. just so much malt in those bodies. But if you're talking about the lighter side of beer, and a lot of there's a trend even on the alcohol side to go to lighter style beers. The pilsners of the world are making a strong comeback. Um, the four percent, which I'm super IPAs excited about because Czech pilsners are my absolute <laughs> favorite style of beer. 
Yeah, and there's not as much complexity to that body yeah. as there would be in a 7% IPA. So that's the, that's the market where the NA drinker might be very surprised and not be able to distinguish between the two. Well, from what I, like everything I've read for like the trends ABV wise, that it's like a twofold trend that the middle ABVs aren't selling well, but low ABV and like super high ABV are what people are buying. So that kind of is a, a, a good transition if someone, exactly. if they're on the low ABV side to a quality made non-alcoholic beer would be like an indistinguishable difference. Yeah. But just remember, we can hop as much as we want. So if we want to put three pounds, you know, three pounds per barrel of hops in there or five pounds, you're going to just have a huge hop beer, yeah. you know, and it's going to smell as aromatic as a, as a, you know, 6% is going to smell. So it's, yeah, you can do a lot with an on out. You just, it takes a little more, you know, challenging and piloting and, and, development work but again that's as robin said it's kind of the culture we walked into and we're just supporting it with the resources and say hey go to it you know create create some cool stuff how often are you coming out with um different uh brands so right now we have three that are going to be coming out uh we're going to do one a month um so i i think we're we got to pick between the vienna lager or the wit beer um and then we've got uh, a red, and then we're gonna, as we get into the summer seasons, we have some uh, flavored. Uh, we have a blueberry ale, um, and then we have um, probably gonna come out. Now you're the first one to hear this, so <laughs> your 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 people are. We're probably gonna be coming out with a pumpkin ale in the fall. Everyone, I I hate <laughs> them, uh, but everyone has to have a pumpkin ale because as as much as people like to rag on them, people. People are drinking them. them. It's a huge seller. One of our one of our companies in Maine that's a, that has a big big uh, pumpkin product. It's their number one seller year round. And they're a huge brewery. I mean, they do a hundred thousand barrels a year. But their number one seller is their pumpkin. Yeah, I I hate pumpkin everything. Though. <laughs> <clears throat> I just I hate um, clove. Uh, I don't yeah, like I clove that. at mm. all. Yep. Totally. So anything pumpkin flavored it's not i'm not one of the bandwagon yeah. uh pumpkin beer trashers i've i've disliked pumpkin flavored thing forever <laughs> <laughs> and of course my wife well, loves it of course of <laughs> right course. so she can just have all of it <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what is um what what is your most popular uh brand wavefinder are you of the line? I mean, that would that would the that idea. would make sense. Yeah. That tracks with craft beer drinkers. <laughs> Love yep. hops. So that one is our number one, but not too far behind it. Interestingly, is our stand up and stout, um, which is the stout lineup. Okay. So very good. The Raz, everyone raves about the Raz if they try it. That indistinguishable, like oh my gosh, blow me away, so like oh my gosh. So yeah, those are our. Well, it, it's the it's the perfect amount of tartness and the perfect amount of raspberry that it it's refreshing without being like an overwhelming um, sour ale. I can't wait for people to try our blueberry, which is coming up this summer. It's phenomenal. It's made with Maine wild blueberries. It's made with um, blueberries raised by the Pasqua. Cosmoquati Indians here in the state that we're partnering with is this beautiful blue hue and it is so refreshing. It's not heavy. It doesn't have um, sort of a lingering taste. It's so clear and crisp and refreshing. It's really not only is it, I mean, it's just so main and it's a fantastic product. It's one of my favorites and um, it, it'll be a wonderful, wonderful addition to the summer. So what is the best way that people can stay up to date with what's going on at 1820 Brewing? So we have a fantastic Instagram account. We have a Facebook account, Gary Brewing. Uh, I'm sorry, at 1820. <laughs> Forgot which That's hat it. you had on. <laughs> I, I'm responsible for both accounts. So um, at 1820 Brewing. 
both on Facebook and Instagram. And we have a great website where we're always updating products. Of course, you can order online at our website, um, adding different articles and all different kinds of pieces, both about the industry and what our brand is doing and what people are saying about our brand and mostly loving on our brand, of course. But <laughs> Do you guys have time to answer some intentionally stupid questions? Alan does. <laughs> I couldn't wait for that. That was that was um, that was the exciting part. I thought. Right. I think. What is? Uh, well, I mean, people. It, it's funny how like, it's become a thing that I get invited to festivals to do because the the brewers, especially after having a few regular beers in them, um, love answering the questions and then arguing with each other about yeah. the answers for some of them. Uh, the most important one to me: Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? That that's a total Alan question. <laughs> uh, I'll take the. You pirate. are correct, sir. Uh, we can continue. <laughs> <laughs> so many people answer that correctly, incorrectly, and choose ninja, but it's absolutely pirate. Does pineapple belong on a pizza? You are also correct. I like you more and more as this goes on. <laughs> pepperoni. But yes, unless you're my daughter, who for some reason doesn't never wants pepperoni on it. There's something wrong with her. Is Nickelback a good band? I like Nickelback. I, I don't have a strong opinion on that one either way. I think they're okay. They're little, again, I'm a little bit older, so it's you know Nickelback's probably I should ask my son more of that. <laughs> you know, he's in his mid twenties. Well, you might not even know who Nickelback is, although they just came out with a new album, and I think they're on tour now. But it's our yeah. generation of people that made fun of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. If you were a new member of the Spice Girls, what would your name be? Cinnamon. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna suggest filtration spice, <laughs> but <laughs> or filtered spice. <laughs> What would the name of your biography be? Uh, that's a great question. Probably the highs and lows of life. Never, never get too high and never get too low. Stay steady in the middle. Right. Who would play you in a movie about your life? <laughs> well, I guess I'm older than that, right? Uh, not because I look like this, but maybe George Clooney. That could work. That could work. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? <laughs> no. Oh, that's strong feelings about that one, too. No. We've had this discussion at home on multiple times. <laughs> I love the movies, though. I actually love the movies. They're just not Christmas movies. If you drop food on the floor, what is the maximum acceptable amount of time they can still pick it up and eat it? Length of time it takes me to bend over. <laughs> if you won the Powerball, what's the first thing you would purchase? Am I thinking? Uh, probably a boat. Probably, probably a boat. I would say. What kind of boat? Or I love a Grady White. What's that? It's an ocean okay. boat. It's like a sail. Yeah, about twenty-five foot ocean boat would be great. No okay. motorboat. She would like to sail. Like sailing is very popular in the. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I do huge. have to inter interject here. We always said that if we won the lottery or Powerball, that we would form a foundation, and uh, we would call it the Labor Foundation, which appalls our children. But that is um, <laughs> Robin and Alan spelled backwards. Rob and Al spelled backwards. Labor. Okay. Which is what we always. It's true. We always did say that. We'd put it down. But when you said buy something, I'm like, ah, oh, we're not really buying yeah. anything there. But no, we, we always felt like yeah. 30 to foundation would be fun. Yeah. I mean, that that's the good answer. I was looking for yeah. the selfish one. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, I filled you, that you, one. The boat. You nailed that one, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> what is the scariest movie you've ever watched? The Exorcist. I went to, I went to where that staircase is once because it's it's down in dc near me 
Oh, it did. I, I, I didn't see Exorcist when I was young. I didn't see it until I was an adult. So it oh, didn't. I did. When it first came out. I, I think out. if I would have watched it younger, it would have had what, much more of an effect on me instead of watching it in my 30s <laughs> where I was like, okay, this is, <laughs> it's a movie. Right. Well, that was like from a cinematic aspect. It was kind of like very, uh, for its time, it was. It yeah, was it was pushing the. Nowadays, you could yeah, that's what I mean. Like it, it, it doesn't yeah. have the same hit. That it that it did when it yeah. first came out. Poltergeist is the same way. That that at the time was great, but not like now. If you were having a plumbing issue, who would you hire, Mario or Luigi? Luigi. Me too. I think Mario would be a little too full of himself. <laughs> what is your most prized possession? Oof. It's probably not. Close your ears, Rob. It's probably my wife. <laughs> I don't think you can list your wife as a yeah. possession, though. Uh, we're, we possess each other. It's really <laughs> nice. It's lovely. All right, one more. Is it acceptable to use a gift card on a first date? <laughs> yeah. It, I, no. don't know, I don't care. I, <laughs> I, I think yes, but it's been, been so long. Like 35 years, though. Yeah. Yeah, we've been together for a yeah, long time. I mean, I haven't been on a first date in 20 plus years. So I, <laughs> yeah. it, it, I just find that um, there, there's very distinctive groups on how they answer that question. Any brewery owner I've ever had on that has like a background in hospitality, 100% says no. <laughs> and then it seems like any like any other typically are you know, like, yeah, sure, who cares? <laughs> But for some reason, well, that's what happens when you're married. We met in college, the first week in college when we went to school together, and we've been together for 35 years. So when you've been together that long, you're yeah. out of it for so long, you don't really know yeah, what's have, going on. You have no days. idea what <laughs> you're more money conscious than anything. <laughs> well, thank you too so much for your time today, and thank you for opening my eyes to the world of non-alcoholic beer, and for being willing to uh, have a second go at this, which I think. Went perfect this time. We didn't. I don't even have to knock on wood this now. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for having us. We're, we're glad you're keeping that open mind to, to NA beers, and, and that your your listeners will do the same thing because I think they'll be really really surprised. And using that uncapped twenty is a really nice way to make it really. Uh, affordable yeah, thank you so much for offering. Great experience. And I think even I mean, as I get older, I actually I keep drinking less and less because. <laughs> Beer makes me sleep horribly. So (laughs) it would be nice to at night crack open something that tastes like beer that isn't going to keep me up. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for having us, Chris. And if any of your listeners want uh, to, you know, connect with us, please email us through our website. We love to hear from our customers. We love to answer questions. Um, We're really out there excited about this opportunity to share non-alcoholic beers with people. So we want to talk about it. Great. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. Cheers. 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 The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.